Today, I'd like to welcome Maria Baltazzi to the podcast. When Maria graduated with her MFA from the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, she decided that she wanted to travel and create adventure television. She's now a two-time Emmy Award-winning producer and creator of TV, was one of four senior producers for the first seven seasons of Survivor, and has traveled to all seven continents, twice. And that is just the beginning. Maria is an innovator whose career is an inspiration. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Maria. Thank you for doing the podcast. I appreciate your being here. I've always found you to be brave, strong in your convictions and your career choices. Not only have you made some choices that might have intimidated others, I've always found that impressive. And I've always found impressive that your career has constantly evolved. When we met, we met at Art Center College Design. Just before graduation, I remember you saying that you were only going to do action, adventure, travel, work. And I always found that a stunning choice and not an easy career path. And that's just stuck with me. How did you arrive at that decision? What drove you to that? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. It's, it's a pleasure and an honor to be your guest. And what drove me was really my heart. I have always loved adventure. I've always loved travel. And I always loved storytelling. And so I just combined everything that made me get up in the morning. You know, I've never wanted to be in four white walls. It was really important to me that I was not typical. I didn't grow up, go to college, get a nine to five job and have that existence for 30, 40 years so I could retire and then travel and live a life. I didn't want that. I wanted to have that all along the way. So I just made that my lifestyle. And it certainly has had its sacrifices throughout the years and still does even to this day. But would I make another choice? Nope. That's amazing. But as somebody fresh out of your MFA, did you know the challenges that would lie ahead or the opportunities? How did you face that? Well, I, I did in part because I went to undergraduate school and I majored in marketing. And then my first couple of jobs were at television stations. The first job was in San Diego with an NBC affiliate, and I was in the sales department. And I would literally make sure the commercials got into the programs. I would make sure it got into the proper spot on what they called the log. So they knew when to run which commercials. From there, I went up to San Francisco to work for another NBC affiliate. And actually what I did in San Diego was what brought me to San Francisco. They wanted me instead of commercials for promos. It was during that time that I started to notice, wait a minute, I'm inside four white walls, the thing that I did not want. And I was... Living in San Francisco at a time where there was a lot of money being spent on advertising, on marketing, being someone who was handling the promotion of the station, it was also my responsibility to buy the media time. I was being wined and dined for everything. I had tickets to anything and everything that you could imagine. And after doing that for a couple of years where you keep doing the same thing, You just start to say, why? 
there's nothing changing here. And that's when I made the decision to go to Los Angeles, where I started to work on a show that traveled. It was during my time on that show that the economy started to tank and there just wasn't a lot of uh, production work. So I decided, well, I had always wanted to go to film school just to learn the vocabulary of film. So it was in that transition. So by the time I got to Art Center, where you and I met, I already had worked in four white walls that I didn't want to be doing. And I already had a taste of what it was like to travel and tell stories. While it sounded like an extraordinary statement to you, it was a bit informed. But a lot of people would have loved to have stayed in San Francisco and gone to every game and been absolutely happy with that. Stepping away from that on its own is rather incredible, probably a a vision of things to come. When you left Art Center, I believe you did a series of smaller travel jobs. What were your first jobs? Oh, boy. Right out of school. Wasn't it Children in Cambodia, People Who Walked Into Volcanoes? I did one show for PBS, which was called Great Drives, where it's literally what it was, Great Drives in Our Country. And then I did a show that was uh, about dangerous jobs. And that's how I ended up in Cambodia in a minefield interviewing expats who train people to look for landmines. So uh, yes, the show that actually changed my life literally was a show that sent me to Africa for 11 weeks to shoot stories about different kinds of animals. The person that landed in Africa who was afraid of anything that was going to bite, chew, sting. To the person that left, you know, I wouldn't get out of the vehicle when I first arrived. And by the time I left, I'm dumping out of the vehicle. I'm chasing after things. And to this day, Africa has such a dear, special place in my heart that I will always love that continent and, and go back to it again and again because it truly changed me as a human. That's extraordinary. I didn't know that story. And did that lead to Survivor? You were on Survivor for seven seasons as a field producer, correct? Won two Emmys? As a a supervising producer. Supervising producer. Yes. So when I was being interviewed for that show, they had already hired three guys and they thought, well, they should probably bring in a female because get different content. You just do. Initially, the person that brought me in wanted to hire me because he knew of my reputation of traveling. And our first season was in Borneo. And I was the only person who had already been to Borneo a couple of months previous. I was doing a story in the jungles of Borneo. Who would have thought within three months I would be going back there to shoot yet another show? Mark Burnett at the time actually did not want to hire me because he didn't know me. And it was the other guys who went to bat for me to say, no, 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 you really want her because this is what she does. She loves to be outdoors and on adventures. She'll, she'll, she'll be good. Trust us. So I got hired. And then Mark and I became really good friends afterwards. <laughs> if Africa changed your life, Survivor certainly must have. Well, that's interesting. It didn't, it did not. It changed me 
or impacted me, I think is a better way of putting it, because it was a phenomena that nobody could have seen coming. We had no idea that it was going to be the sensation that swept the country. Our initial final seasons were Super Bowl numbers. That's extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, extraordinary. Some people won't realize Survivor was the first big reality TV show in the States. Right. There was no Big Brother. Survivor was it. Yeah, Big Brother aired the same year after us. Same with Amazing Race. But... Literally, and it's not an overstatement, we were getting Super Bowl numbers. And it was extraordinary. And what was interesting about that time is that we were out on an island. We shot our show. We came back to Los Angeles. We're in the edit room, and we just have blinders on. We're not paying attention to, or I'm not paying attention. I'm just getting my work done. I'm only hearing bits and pieces about the audience reaction. And what was really crazy was that I was doing the last episodes, the seasons that I did it, the last episode was mine. So we literally finished that last show for season one. I hand the show in, go home and pick up my bags and go back to the airport to go back to Borneo because now we're shooting Eco Challenge there. So inside of six months, I was in Borneo three times for three completely different shows. It was not until the second season, when we did the Australia season, that I understood the fullness of how that show was taking the country, just captivating such interest. And I remember we were shooting Eco Challenge, and I was at one of the racers' checkpoints, I'm listening to this guy behind me going on about his agents and doing voiceover. I'm like, we're in the middle of a jungle. Who are you? I turn around, it's Mark Steinus from Entertainment News, <laughs> Entertainment Tonight. I, I, I mean, I didn't realize at the time we became friends afterwards. But he was telling me that everybody was going crazy to know the results of the winner that first season. You know, I had been so cocooned doing my work and then immediately getting onto a plane. I had no idea how much interest and excitement that that show had created until I went to the finale of the second season. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Did the interest in the show change the production team in any way, your awareness of that? And did it change the contestants in some way over time, over seven years? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, I don't want to say it's a different show. You have to evolve. And I always knew that you would have to make changes and adjustments. I mean, there is the show that you create, and then there's the maturity of the show. I am glad that I was at the beginning. I would say that for really all of my work, I've always enjoyed when I was part of what you didn't know you were creating. You know, I always liked being part of the first, the first season, the pilot, the presentation, the figuring out what is it going to be, because once it has legs, it has some maturity, then I'm not so interested. It's harder to pave the way to figure out what, a show is going to be. However, for me personally, I find that more gratifying. 
to, to answer your question, I think with time, and we saw it happen fairly quickly, the show turned into much more about strategy as opposed to actually surviving which was for just my personal taste. I'm not, not making any judgment. I always liked the, the survival stories, the island living stories. And the show has evolved much more into the gameplay, the strategy part of winning the game. The contestants could become students of the game. So by the time they were landing, they were already thinking alliances and how they were going to play and they were already at a more sophisticated gameplay level. Yeah, I think one of the beauties of the first couple seasons was the naivete of the people on the show. But I know people who are absolutely addicted to the current yeah. cast of characters and how they each play the game. So yeah, different strengths. But for you, you left Survivor while it was still running. You decided to step out on your own. Yeah, similar to when I left San Francisco. Yeah, I was at a station that was fourth in the market, so that meant we were behind the independent station in addition to the major broadcast stations. So we were in a situation that we were turning that station around. By the time I left, four years later, the station had really come up in prestige. It was winning major news awards. There suddenly became this whole layer of middle management that didn't exist. When I first came to the station, we were scrappy and it was I could just go talk to the general manager. And then there were all these people around and, and it just wasn't as much fun. Similar with Survivor, in success, there were more people around. There was a sameness routine that you got into you know, this is what happens when you go on location and you're there this amount of time and this is the way your days look when you're in production and then what your off days are when you're there. And you get, come to post-production, there's a, a certain, you know, rhythm to that. And after you do that for seven seasons, it's like, okay, I just do not have another story rendition of I'm Hungry. <laughs> Fair enough. You stepped out and you decided to create your own programming. Did you continue to work with other people? I know you did some things with Mark. You executive produced Expedition Africa, which took you back to Africa, Stanley and Livingston. And I tell the story about that show regularly. Do you want to talk about it a little bit? So it was four modern day explorers retracing Henry Morton Stanley's journey to find Dr. Livingston. Because back in the 1870s, Livingston and just that era of explorer and exploration, you, know, you were rock stars. And when Livingston wasn't surfacing, the world wanted to know where he was. Stanley, who was a journalist, was given the assignment to go find him. However, Stanley was not, he was not an explorer. It was that journey that made him, that gave him the beginnings of being a great explorer. It was interesting because there were many parallels that I felt we shared in our journey. At the time that Stanley was doing it, there was shortage of food, there was malaria, there was the threat of animals. And 
the further east, we started in Zanzibar and crossed the water and landed in a place called Bagamoya and then kept going, I'm sorry, westward. The further west we went, uh, the less we had in terms of infrastructure and the less access we had to food, the less we had in terms of good roads to, to move our camps and to get our crews from one place to one place to another. So it was an extraordinary experience. And there were definitely times when I felt like Stanley. Certainly before we launched our expedition to follow an expedition, because essentially that's what we did. Yeah, I remember feeling, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for the lives of 120 people to get across this country. And it's not a well-served country. In terms of medical, you would have to helicopter something in. I mean, we were having to travel great distances just to get apples. So, yeah, it was my favorite show experience ever. That's wonderful. And did the explorers themselves have challenges? Oh, yeah. Well, I would say their greatest challenge was each other, getting along with each other. Yeah, they definitely had to be concerned about the amount of weight that they were carrying. They had to conserve their food and think about where they were going to be able to source food in small villages or whatever they were coming across. But the real challenge was dealing with each other because you had four alpha personalities. On an expedition, you need one leader. You effectively had four. And it was interesting to see how they navigated each other. They took lanes, so to speak. It's just like, okay, well, you're going to navigate. We'll let you lead there. You're going to lead us on something that has to do with actually surviving. Okay, you can do this. So it depended on what each explorer's skill set was that enabled the others to say, okay, at this moment, you can take the lead. And it wasn't until the very last day when they were walking where Stanley would have walked to meet Livingston. It was the first and only time that the four of them walked side by side. Wow. (laughs) That's extraordinary. They're all used to being the alpha. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Were there physical challenges they faced? Yeah. They had to go over the Uluguru Mountains, which... Yeah, on backpacks and you've got quarters with all kinds of tents and food supplies. And it's not a technical mountain, but it's still a steep mountain and very uneven to navigate that. The days were extremely hot and sometimes, you know, they were running out of water. The mosquitoes that could give you malaria and did. One of our explorers went down with malaria They definitely had some very, very real dangers. I'm always struck by the fact that four professional survivalists struggled that hard. And you look at Stanley, who, as you said, was a journalist and made that trek virtually on his own. He had an expedition behind, and there were definitely places where he had to just stop the expedition because he was too sick to do it himself or he was just too anxiety-ridden. So he had some very, very real challenges. Hmm. That's an extraordinary story. I love the show. And then you went on to produce TLC's most viewed show? 
Yes, at the time. I'm not sure if a show has come up from behind that to break the record, which was Sarah Palin's Alaska. So you can imagine why the numbers were so high. At the time we did the show, she was probably at the height of the media spotlight before the 2012 elections. And what was interesting about that show is you never knew what your day was going to be like because in some ways it depended on what kind of news was getting published around her that day because that influences things. And what we did is we made a show about Alaska and she was our guide. So the show was never meant to be political. I never had one conversation with her about politics. Politics was never discussed on our set. She never knew what side of the fence that I sat on, and it didn't matter because the show was about Alaska. And what I do have to say is that given the demands on her time at that moment, and she was writing a book and so many things going on in her life, I was always impressed that she took the time to sit for the interviews. Hmm. And there were a lot. <laughs> we interviewed her a lot. <laughs> Even on the days that she didn't particularly want to sit for an interview, she did. No, that's yeah. great. I don't think many people understand what a huge media sensation she was at the time. She'd been John McCain's running mate, had been governor of Alaska, and yeah. was in the news and her family constantly. It had to be an interesting experience. And it was interesting to do a show just about Alaska, and that just happened to be your host. Which is why you were a good fit. Well, what I love about Alaska, in many ways, is what I love about Africa. It, it's vast space. And the people who live there, you have to be hardy. I find them both extraordinary places in the world. And you continue to make shows for a number of outlets. And now you're currently developing projects with a new partner, Pilgrim Media Group. Right. I have a couple questions. What made you decide to work with Pilgrim? And were those decisions similar to some of the other partners you've chosen throughout your career? Because you've made those choices rather specifically. What was different about the Pilgrim decision, it was a lot of things coming together to make it very appealing to do. Everything from a logistics, it's only a 20-minute drive, you know, which in Los Angeles is huge. One of the reasons I have let go of other production arrangements is because it took me too long to get there. That wasn't the deciding factor, but that certainly factored in. And then there's always the circumstances of what that relationship is. What do you have to give up to, to get? In this particular arrangement, I only saw advantages. It's a well-established company that is known for a lot of its adventure, male-oriented programming. It um, does a lot for uh, discovery and National Geographic and history. And when I say male skewing, I don't mean to shortchange women. It's just the way it falls out demographically. And I like adventure. It was a place where I could go and do the kind of programming that you know, I want to do. Which is nice. So it gives you some latitude right. in terms of what you pitch and want to develop. Yeah. You've always been a person of great credibility, to my mind, and 
I try to explain to a lot of people who want to move into either the film industry or publishing or photography or any kind of creative field that good people are harder to get a hold of, right? You've always been very private, kind of kept your circle close. And I find that, correct me if I'm wrong, some of the people you work with, the good people in the business, have also done that. They have small circles of people they trust. And it takes time to build that kind of credibility or that relationship before people invite you on board, correct? Mm -hmm. And you've seemed to have, in addition to choosing action and adventure, taken the time to do your best to choose people who are credible and good people within the television industry. And I, I think that's admirable. It takes time. I don't think a lot of people believe you can build a career like that in your field. Well, I made a decision fairly early on. I had worked on a show where I didn't agree with the way the the owner did business. It wasn't my values. And it was in that experience that I decided it wasn't about the money. It was about doing shows that somehow spoke to me. You know, whether you agree with the shows that I've done or not, somehow every project has to to have meaning for me. I have to love everything I'm doing or I don't know how to do it literally. And I can't just do it for the money. And I made a decision that I cared both about the content and who I was doing the content for or with. So you could have a really fantastic idea. However, if I didn't agree with your business ethics, I wasn't going to do the show. Has that cost me? Yeah, it sure has. Am I okay with that? Yeah, I am. And you've still had an amazing career and one that you've been able to feel good about. Yeah. But your career has taken you to all seven continents. And then you followed that up by doing marathons on all seven continents and climbing Everest, I believe. I went to Everest Base Camp. Base Camp, okay. But your marathons actually had a little different focus. They were all socially conscious. Can you explain that decision? Because that plays into your career, I think, substantively, particularly moving forward. Yeah. I have this ability to walk. I wanted to put it to use. And it came by way of someone who came down with cancer, Ethan Zone, who won the Survivor Africa. And through him, I did my very first marathon for Livestrong, raising money for cancer awareness. I did the New York Marathon, and I had never done a marathon before, but I had recently just walked to Everest Base Camp, and I figured if I could walk to Everest Base Camp, I could probably walk across five boroughs. And the other thing that motivated me to want to do that is that my mother had overcome cancer herself. And once I did the New York Marathon, that just gave way to doing other marathons till eventually I did one on every continent. And out of that, I decided to create a company called Sojourn Explorers, which a portion of the money goes to different causes. And Sojourn Explorers, uh, you have transformational travel and you have other things. So Sojourn is the name of your production company, but you also do social justice-based or ecology-focused trips and other things, correct? Right. The overall company is called the Sojourn Experience. And under that umbrella company, are, I have three brands. One brand is the television production that I do. The second 
brand is called Picture Happiness, Take a Shot, which is all the work that I've done in the art and science of happiness and mindfulness and another area of great interest. And then specifically what we're talking about, which is Sojourn Explorers, which is about transformational travel. And the reason that I look towards transformational travel in particular is because travel literally has transformed me. I am doing something that I have done and I have found so much meaning in doing personally that I have wanted to then share that with other people, curating extraordinary experiences in extraordinary places. And at the end of it, some of the money going to worthy causes. And as part of your happiness-centered work, I should say, given your career and everything else, you've decided to go back and get a PhD. So you have a PhD in conscious-centered living, mm-hmm. correct? And you just received that? Producing television can be very stressful. And I was finding that I was beginning to take on so much stress that it just wasn't healthy for me. And I wanted to do something about it. I didn't want to stay in a state of chronic stress. I just wanted a better existence. And so I started on a journey to turn it around, to take whatever was negative in my life and turn it into a positive. And it was always my intention you know, similar to travel, to want to share that with other people. I think we all have the ability to be better versions of ourselves. And if I can help that process for other people who are in the creative industry, I would get a lot of satisfaction out of that. How have you evolved personally and professionally over the course of your career? Oh my gosh, that's a huge question. (laughs) Oh, I would say there's not a big line between my professional and my personal world. I intentionally chose a lifestyle that included the type of work that I did. So there's, there's not this clear demarcation. This is my professional world and this is my personal world, unless you are talking specifically about my family. Otherwise, I mean, you and I know each other professionally. However, we also have a very close friendship. There's not a big line between what's professional and what's friendship, what's personal. And that's why I say I chose a lifestyle because I also choose people in my professional world that I like personally. So one informs the other. And I would say, to make a clear statement, for me, there is not a big difference between my personal world and my professional world because I have chosen a lifestyle. So one informs the other and they go hand in hand. And the way I have developed over my career is I have always remained curious. I have always been a student. I have always wanted to learn. I have always cared about growing. When I think back about my early years, 
your early years, you, you don't have the experience. You don't have the knowledge. You have maybe trepidation to try things. And as time goes on, you get more experience, you get more knowledge. And I have found that I take bigger swings. I am willing to look at a, a bigger picture that encompasses all of the things that I really love, the storytelling, the travel, as well as the mindfulness and art and science of, of happiness. To go from a business that was only doing television and storytelling to now a business that encompasses the three things that I just mentioned that are all equally though differently important to me. And what is one thing that you've learned along the way? Always learn. Keep learning. Always keep an open mind. Perfect. And what is one personal characteristic that you most attribute your success to? Love. That's a great answer. 100% love. Even at the beginning of my career, I always knew that whatever I was doing, I had to love it. I do not know how to do something because I'm told to do it. I do not know how to do something for the money. I don't know how to function that way. I have always had to find something to love about everything that I do. That's beautiful. And wrapping up, what advice would you give to somebody who has the desire to step out on a new career path, say they're on one, and they want to change, or somebody who'd like to create a career based on the things they love and believe in? Do it. That you consciously make that choice, and you make it now. You can always put off. You can always say, well, when the kids are older, or when I have enough money, or or, 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 and then decades go by and you're still doing something that you are not happy with, still in the overwhelm. And so my advice is to take stock of where you are right now and really reflect, is this the existence that you, you want? And if it is not, then do something about it and don't wait do it now. Even if you are in a circumstance where you're financially tied or you have certain family obligations, I know that that stuff does exist. You know, we all, we all are subject to that. But there are still small things that you can do every day that incrementally build up to you being able to make that jump. You don't need to wait years. You can start doing something right now, but it starts with looking at your life situation and really thinking about how you want to be in life and what do you want in life, and then saying yes to it and taking that first step. Nothing happens without you wanting to do it and you making a choice and you making that first step. Well, to a certain extent, it embodies your career and life path, the choices you've made visualizing them, working to be a good person in the industry. It's a reflection of that to me. I think it's beautiful the way that all of your loves and desires have come together to form your career. Always have. 
And I would say that you're lucky, but I know that it's come through a lot of choices and hard work. So luck always has something to do with it. But again, I've always respected the way you've made those choices along the way, both personally and professionally. Thank you. I appreciate your time, your insight, and just for being here and sharing. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone, for joining the conversation. Please join us again on Thomas Werner Podcast.